Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the horrible condition of Job as we pick up in Job chapter 7, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Is there not an appointed time to man upon the earth? And are not his days also like the days of a hireling? As a servant earnestly desires the shadow, that is the shadow of the clock going down so that the shadow disappears, the servant waits for that because he has rest in the evening. And as the hireling looks for the reward of his work, so am I made to possess months of vanity and wearisome nights are appointed to me. And when I lie down, I say, when will I arise? When will the night be gone? I'm full of tossing to and fro unto the dawning of the day. My flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust. My skin is broken and it's become loathsome. Now Job is telling about his horrible condition. Clods of dirt are clinging to the, you know, the sores where they would begin to dry up and then the clods of dirt just clinging there and his flesh all over is just loathsome. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is wind. Mine eyes shall no more see good. The eye of him that hath seen me shall see me no more. Thine eyes are upon me, and I am not. As the cloud is consumed and vanishes away, so is he that goeth down to the grave. He shall come up no more. Job, you don't know what you're talking about. He shall return no more to his house, neither shall his place know him any more. Therefore, I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I a sea or a whale that you set a watch over me? When I say my bed shall comfort me, my couch shall ease my complaint. And then you come along and you try to scare me with your dreams. And you terrify me through your visions so that my soul chooses strangling and death rather than life. I loathe it. I would not live always. Let me alone for my days are empty. What is man that you should magnify him? Now, let me say at this point, Job is turning from Eliphaz. He, he said it. He said, just leave me alone. I would choose to strangle on my own spittle than to hear any more of your words. Death is better than life. Now he turns to God in verse 17. And addressing himself to God, he says, What is man that you should magnify him and that you should set your heart upon him? Interesting question. What is man that God should exalt man and that God should set his heart upon man? I liked what Dave said this morning as he was leading us in singing, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? He said he likes to sing that looking in the mirror. <laughs> Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? You ought to sing that looking in the mirror. Job is sort of looking in the mirror saying, God, what is man that you should mind, you know, magnify him or that you should set your heart upon him? 
What am I that God should set his heart upon me, that God should desire my love, that God should desire my fellowship, that God should desire my responses to him? It's the amazing mysteries of God, and I cannot understand them. That you should visit him every morning and try him every moment. How long will you not depart from me, nor let me alone till I swallow down my own spittle? I have sinned. What shall I do unto thee? And of course, Job's talking about this is quite a picturesque phrase for death. I begin to just swallow my own spit. I mean, that's it. You know, I can't cough it up anymore. It's just I'm gone. I have sinned. What shall I do unto thee, O thou preserver of men? Why have you set me as a mark against thee so that I am a burden to myself? Why do you not pardon my transgression and take away mine iniquity? For now shall I sleep in the dust, and thou shalt seek me in the morning, but I shall not be. So his complaint to God, why don't you forgive me, God? Why don't you relieve me of this? What's going on? And Job is crying out of the misery. So Bildad, the next friend, speaks up, and he said, how long will you speak these things? How long will your words of your mouth be like a big bag of wind? Does God pervert judgment or does the Almighty pervert justice? If your children have sinned against him and he's cast them away for their transgression, then okay, now he's getting on my kids. They've sinned and God's wiped them out. Now you're going to blame God. If you would seek unto God before and make your supplication to the Almighty, if you were pure and upright, surely he would awake for thee. He would take up your cause, and he would make the habitation of thy righteousness prosperous. Though your beginning was small, yet the latter end should be greatly increased. For inquire, I pray thee, of the former age, and prepare thyself to search of their fathers. For we are... A but of yesterday and know nothing because our days upon the earth are like the shadow on the sundial. Shall not they teach thee and tell thee and utter words out of their heart? Can a rush grow up without mire? Now picture the, the rushes growing up beside the river there in the mud along the river. Can the flags grow without water while it is yet in his greenness? It is cut down. It withers before any other herb. So, Job, you're like a reed that is growing up, but the mud dries up, and while it is still green, you're being cut off. The hypocrites are this way, Job. You must be a hypocrite. So are the paths of all that forget God, and the hypocrite's hope shall perish whose hope shall be cut off and whose trust shall be a spider's web. He shall lean upon his house, but it shall not stand. He shall hold it fast, it will not endure. He is green before the sun, but his branch shoots forth in his garden. His roots are wrapped about as the heat, and he seeth the place of stones. If he destroys him from his place, then he shall deny him, saying, I have not seen thee. Behold, this is the joy of his way, and out of the earth shall others grow. Behold, God will not cast away a perfect man, neither will he help the evildoers. 
till he fill thy mouth with laughing and thy lips with rejoicing. They that hate thee shall be clothed with shame, and the dwelling place of the wicked shall come to naught. So basically, Bildad is saying to Job, God is fair, God is just, plead your cause before God. Get right with God, Job, and everything is going to be okay. That's your problem. You're a hypocrite. And what you need to do is just get right with God. Things will straighten out. You know, you'll be blessed and all again. But something's wrong, Job. Can't happen, you know, unless there's something seriously wrong here. So Job answers him. And he said, I know it's true. What? That God is fair, that God is just. Now that is something that we need to all know. That is true. God is righteous. God is just, though the justice of God is often challenged. One of the first challenges that Satan made, even to Eve, was in the fairness of God. Satan was declaring God wasn't fair. God doesn't want you to eat of the fruit of that tree because he knows that when you do, you're going to be just as wise as he is. He was challenging the fairness, the justice of God. And Satan is quite often still challenging the justice of God. I hear people say, how can a God of love send a man to hell? Is that really fair? How can a God of love allow children to starve to death? How can a God of love allow wars to maim so many people? The thought behind each of the questions is, is God well, it, the intimation behind the question is God isn't fair. God isn't just. How could God allow this to happen to me? Surely, God, you're not fair to me. Now, Job assures, I know what you say is true. I know God is just. I know God. And you need to know that because there are going to be issues you're not going to understand. How could a God condemn a man to hell who never had a chance to hear about Jesus Christ? Who grew up in some village in Africa where the gospel never came, and he lives and dies and has never heard the name of Jesus Christ? How could God send that man to hell forever? Let me first of all say I don't know that the scripture does say that God does send him to hell forever. The person who has never heard. I will tell you that the scripture does say that God will be fair when he judges that man who has never heard. Now, just what God is going to do, I don't know. But when he does it, and I see it, I'm going to say, right on. That's so fair. Because God is just. Though the justice of God is constantly being challenged by the enemy. Job saying, I know what you say is true. But that's not my problem. My problem is, how can I stand before God to plead my case? How can I bring my cause before God to be justified by him? For God is so vast. His wisdom is so great. If he should start asking me questions, if he would ask me a thousand questions, I couldn't even answer one. I am so puny in relationship to God. I'm just nothing, and God is infinite. 
So how can I, this little speck of dust on the planet Earth, hope to ever touch God or reach God or plead my case to God or say, hey, God, what are you doing? Why have you done this? For he speaks of the fact that God has created the universe. Orion, the Pleiades, Arcturus. God causes the mountains to disappear. Mount St. Helens. In building a new section of highway in Washington, it took them five months, 24 hours a day, with the most modern earth-moving equipment to move one million cubic yards of that basalt material. Five months, 24 hours a day, day and night, the crews were working to remove one million cubic yards. In 27 minutes from Mount St. Helens, the same type of basalt material, there was removed 5,350,000,000 cubic yards of material pulverized and spread all over the northern part of the United States in 27 minutes. Now you begin to see the, the best efforts of man. And what is man compared with what God can do? He shakes the earth. He has set the constellations. He spread out the heavens with his hands. Who am I that I could come before this kind of a God? Because I can't even see him. Though I know he surrounds me, I don't see him. I can't perceive him. I, I can't touch him. I reach out, but he's not there. So how can man ever stand before God to plead his case? You tell me, get right with God. Everything is going to be okay. Just go before God. Plead my case. How can I do that? It's true. What you say is right. God is fair. God is just. But I don't know how I can plead my case before him. Because of the vastness and the greatness of the infinite God and this gap that exists between us. In the eighth psalm, David saw much the same problem, looking at it from a little different direction. He began with the heavens. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Starting from the heavens coming down to man, he saw the great gap from that direction. Job is standing at this direction and looking up and seeing the same thing. When I consider me, who, who I am, what am I that I could stand before God, that I could justify myself before God, that I could plead my case so as to justify myself before God? If I speak of strength, hey, he's so strong. If I speak of judgment, who will set my, the time for my case? And if I justify myself, my own mouth will condemn me. If I say I am perfect, it will prove me perverse. Though I were perfect, yet I would not know my soul. I'd despise my life. This is the one thing, therefore, I said it 
He destroys the perfect and the wicked. In other words, being good does not give me any immunity from problems. God destroys both the perfect and the wicked. I've said it. You may castigate me for saying it, but I said it. He then speaks of his friends, and he said, If I would wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean, yet you would plunge me in the ditch, and my own clothes would abhor me. So, you know, what can I say? I can't tell you how righteous I am or how, you know, innocent I am. You would throw me in a ditch, even if I had cleansed myself. And then he said concerning God, he is not a man as I am. Now remember that. How often we're trying to pull God down to our level. How often we fall in the category of those in Romans chapter 1 of which Paul wrote, For the wrath of God shall be revealed from heaven against the ungodly and the unrighteous who hold the truth of God in unrighteousness. For when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish hearts were darkened, and professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and they began to worship and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever and ever. You see, they sought to bring man down to their level. They did not glorify him as God. And for me to try to order him around is to fail to glorify him as God. For me to come and demand that you've got to do this now, God, I command in Jesus' name or I, you know, confess this is what you've got to do, God, and begin to lay demands upon God that he's got to do a certain thing. That's not glorifying him as God. That's trying to reduce him even below your level. That's trying to make him a genie that comes out of a lamp and grants you your three requests. God is not a genie. He's not some magic amulet. Nor is the purpose of prayer to get your will done. The purpose of prayer is to get God's will done. And he knows so much better than I will ever know that the wisest prayer I could ever offer is, Father, thy will be done in my life. In these situations, Lord, your will be done. I never worry when I don't know how to pray because I don't know how to pray half the time. But I have great confidence because when I don't know how to pray because I don't know what is the will of God concerning this particular situation, I can always just say, Lord, your will be done. And I know that's best. I have that kind of confidence in God because he is so much greater than I am. His wisdom is, and, and all, oh, there's no comparison. There's no, there's no basis for comparison. There's no way that you can compare the finite with the infinite. There isn't even a basis for a comparison. You can't even draw any comparisons. 
All right, you tell me to get right with God. That's great help. Thanks a lot. Who's going to set the time for me to come and plead my case? And how can I, here I am, how can I ever plead my case before God anyhow? If he starts his cross-examination, asks me a thousand questions, I can't answer a single one. <laughs> if you can't answer a single question out of a thousand, you'll be thrown out of court as an unreliable witness. He's not a man like I am that I could come and say, hey, hey, what are you doing here? What's going on? He's not a man like I am. Neither is there any daysman between us that might lay his hand upon us both. My situation is hopeless. God is so vast, there's no way I can touch him. I, I can't see him. He, I know he's there. I know he's just. But I have no way of pleading my cause. I'm just a man. He is the infinite God. The only way this could ever be is that somehow there would be between us a daysman, one who could lay his hand on us both. But there isn't any. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse -verse Bible study in the book of Job on our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Job 7-9 through 9 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse -verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you. May you experience the joys of his power, of his presence, and of his glory. May you begin to experience greater victory in your walk with Jesus Christ. As you yield yourself to that touch of God and as he molds and shapes you into that person he wants you to be. And so may God bless you and may God work in your life this week in a very special way. And may faith be increased as you study his word. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. God is looking for someone that he can use to accomplish his purposes on this earth. The apostles were more than willing to be used by the Lord. So what was it that gave them the certain spiritual characteristics necessary to be used by God? and to be a powerful, godly influence to change the world. 
Well, in a book entitled The Man God Uses, Pastor Chuck Smith brings the scriptures to life as he examines the book of Acts. He reveals the secret to the apostles' boldness, the five essential components of prayer, and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. So if you've ever wanted to accomplish more for the kingdom of God and to be an instrument that he can use, then I encourage you to pick up a copy of Pastor Chuck's book, The Man God Uses. To order a copy of this book in print or download a digital copy, please visit thewordfortoday.org or call the word for today at 800-272-9673.